We are in the book of Matthew, um, but we're taking a little break today. So for like a year and a half or so, I have been going through the book of Matthew. We just finished chapter 23, um, but this week and next week, we're going to take a little bit of a break on the book of Matthew. And today we're going to talk about uh, international missions, and we're going to do a report. We sent a team about a month and a half ago or so um, down to Columbia, South America, not Columbia, South Carolina, though there's lots of mission work in Columbia, um, South Carolina. Um, so anyway, and they have come back, and we've shot some video and got some <clears throat> reports from the trip, and so we're going to be showing that video a little bit later on, and then, of course, um, trying to get you to say, yes, I want to do missions as well. So my job um, is to preach the word today to try to get you to say, yes, I want to do missions. I don't really feel like I have to do much about that. I think that the Bible itself will, will do that. And so um, that's kind of what we're doing today is an, a focus on international missions. Next week, we'll be looking at uh, a focus on church planting. And then after that, we'll be back in uh, Matthew. We'll be looking at actually 24 and 25, uh, the whole end time stuff. So I know all y'all are excited about that. You've been studying all your charts and everything for a while. And we'll be, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we'll be at that um, in a couple weeks. So um, the second thing I have before I get started is um, I wanted to make an announcement, kind of a, a housekeeping thing. Um, we have someone that's been doing for us. His name's Matt Mao. He's been doing for us the international missions planning and trips and things like that for at least uh, a month and a half or a year and a half or so. He's done both trips that we've gone on. And so um, Matt is going to or has now started with us on staff. We, we have some volunteer paid staff. So he's starting as a, as a volunteer staff guy. Um, Basically, we're recognizing what he's already been doing, which is planning and organizing and taking teams down to, um, down to Columbia on our mission trips. And so Matt will be now, uh, in an official capacity, our international missions coordinator here at Remedy. I mean, he's all official. He's got an email address and everything. So Matt at Remedy Church. So anyway, um, just wanted to let you know that he has um, started doing that for us. And at the very end of the service, he'll close out our service and give us some directions on how we can join in uh, with missions here at Remedy Church. So I'm going to pray, and then we will be in Matthew 9 today. Um, we've already gone through this text at one particular time, like a year and a half ago when we were in <laughs> chapter 9, um, or a year ago. But we're going to look at it on a slightly different slant. I'm going to take a different angle on it. Um, it's a very much a missions text. I'm going to take a, a different angle on it, um, pare down a lot of the information, and just have a, a straightforward challenge for us today in regard to missions. So let me pray, and then we will jump in there at Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, your word and the highlight that it has for us in regard to mission that you, you told us right before you left, the very last thing you said um, before you ascended into heaven was that you were sending us out as missionaries to all the ethne, to all the nations, um, to all the ethnic groups all over the whole world, and that you've told us we have a mission now, that now that we've become Christians, before we go to be with you for the 20, 30, 40, 50 years that we get to live on earth after we come to know Christ. Um, you have given us a task to take this gospel to all the ethnic groups, all the ethne. And so we want to joyfully take up that task and do our part and play our part well. Um, but we need for you to guide us and show us and give us direction on how that happens. Um, and so we thank you for your word that it tells us what is the driving motivation? What is the source for real desire to want to do missions and how can we keep it going? So I pray that this morning as we look at your word that you would come do um, an amazing work by the Spirit in our lives. Would you speak 
to us. I pray that you would move me out of the way and that all the things I say would be spirit-filled and truth and that um, anything that wouldn't be helpful, you would keep me from saying it, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start out with a quote from um, a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's based on Psalm 67, which Ben read at the very beginning. Um, This is a book um, by a guy named John Piper. He's writing on missions, and it's very interesting the way he starts it out. Um, He says, this is a book on missions, not on worship. And this is what he says, first chapter on missions. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And so automatically you're thinking, wow, this is a book on missions? (laughs) This doesn't sound convincing. And then this is what he says. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, listen to this, missions will be no more. There's no evangelism in heaven. Worship continues. And so he says... Um, missions is a temporary necessity but worship abides forever worship therefore is the fuel and goal in missions the fuel meaning is how is it that i'm going to go do mission while i'm here because i'm going to do it as a worshiper and what's the end goal that i'm trying to accomplish as i do mission i'm trying to um by the power of the spirit see more people become worshipers of god so worship therefore is the fuel and the goal in the mission in missions and so um As we're going into a talk on missions today, I want us to remember that the ultimate goal is the glory of God. In everything, the ultimate goal is the glory of God. But in missions especially for us today, the ultimate goal is the glory of God. So as we're talking about how we're going to do missions, what's going to be the thing that causes me to do, do missions, what we're ultimately driving at is for God to be glorified both in our lives and by people coming to know Christ as they um, are doing missions as well. Um, Some people will say, you know, I've heard... I've heard about missions, and I, I think that this is a good thing. Um, I'm glad people do missions. I want to read a David Platt quote to you before we dive into our text just to give us an all an understanding about um, your role in international missions. Your role, I should just say, in missions, because it's not just international, but it's also um, the house right next to you or the room right next to you or the person that sits ne- next to you at work or at school. Um, He's looking at Matthew 28, which I'm going to read in in a little bit later on, which which is the last words of Jesus where he tells us to go uh, make disciples of all nations. David Platt looks at this and he says, Missions, um, therefore, is not a question of whether we are called. Some people say, I'm just not called to do missions. He says, it's not a question of whether we're called. We're all called. It's a question of obedience. Either we're going to be obedient to um, the command to go make disciples of all nations or we're not. And so, as we're looking at this, this text today, I think that based on that, we say, okay, if I'm supposed to do missions, if, I'm, if it's not a question about whether I'm called, but it's about whether I'm going to be, be obedient or not, um, how can I have the desire to do it? Because sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't, most of the times I don't, most of the times I like to, you know, do my own thing, um, or if it's convenient, if it happens to fall in front of my face, maybe I'll say, if they say, hey, could you tell me about Jesus? Oh, okay, this must be a, a, a sovereign chance right now to tell you about Jesus, since you ask. So yes, I will. So we're not necessarily seeking it out so much, and so we're, if we're, hearing that quote and saying, I am supposed to go. Well, then how am I going to do it? How am I going to find the desire? How am I going to be the kind of person that wants to live their entire life on mission and being someone who wants to see all the ethne, all the ethnic groups come to know Christ? Um, I want to look at this particular text and help you see what would be the source 
of, of that uh, ability or desire to want to do missions. So we're looking at verse 35, and um, starting with Jesus here in verse 35, what, what's about to happen is <clears throat> Jesus is about to send his disciples out to do a little, a little mini mission trip to the people of Israel. That's kind of what's going on. And so um, when we see this, uh, this is Jesus sending disciples to go make disciples of just the people of Israel, not the Gentiles. However, there are certain principles that we can see here that are part of a larger uh, task for us to be on mission to tell people about Jesus and that certainly apply to as we see the book of Acts. So um, I want you to see this really fast um, and then we'll, we'll help us see how is it that we're going to find the desire to want to tell people about Christ and it lasts. Like it's not just a little sugar high and then it wears off after two weeks whenever someone made me feel guilty about telling people about Jesus. I'm like, okay, I should. But then in two weeks, it's gone. I want to help us understand the, the deep um, abiding truth that will cause us to, to do that for our lifetime. Verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So here we have a picture of Christ pouring himself out, expending his energy as he goes from city to city to village to village. Um, he's not stopping. He's not taking breaks. He doesn't just kind of work half a day and go play Wii the rest of the day. Like he's going from city to city, village to village. And as he's doing it, he's, he's doing two things. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So he's telling people the message of how to meet Christ, how to be saved by God. But as he's doing it, it says, and he's healing every disease and every affliction. So this is a good pattern for us as we do mission, whether it's local or, you know, to the ends of the earth, wherever God calls you. While you're going, we certainly must have a gospel proclamation. This must be primary and telling um, and calling people towards Christ. There must be um, a time where we proclaim to them with words from our mouth the gospel of Jesus Christ. But all the while, while we're doing that, we can also, he's healing everybody. You may not have the gift of healing. I certainly don't. Um, <laughs> there's a debate on whether that's still around. That's not, that's a whole different sermon. We're not going to unpack those things right now from First Corinthians. I just want to talk about um, the idea is he's healing people. He's meeting their physical needs. So as you go from city to city, from wherever you go, um, classroom to classroom, dorm room to dorm room, house to house in your neighborhood, or God calls you to go out of this country, um, there's a good pattern for us that we meet physical needs, we find the needs of the people, whether they're poor or whether they're hungry or whether they have um, psychological needs or emotional needs. We, we try to, the best that we can, tell them those things. We want to meet their physical needs and all the while make sure that we proclaim the gospel to them. We don't just meet the physical needs and hope that somehow the gospel just you know, goes to them in some kind of magical way out of our head. We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to. Um, and it's always, uh, I heard a quote, uh, I don't know, maybe at least a month ago. It's, it seems like it's always a little bit awkward and weird whenever you share the gospel with someone. Just embrace that. Just, just go with it and know that that's part of sharing the gospel. Embrace the awkwardness and tell them about Christ. That's the way they get saved. Um, and so we see Jesus pouring himself out, going from city to city and village to village. Now, we can breeze through that, but there's a historian named Josephus. I, I want to point out um, something here. There's a historian named Josephus that said that as Jesus was doing this over this time period, which I think that it was uh, a few months or so that he was doing this. This was probably about four to six months. Um, he was going to roughly around 204 
205, around 200 cities and villages. And he was usually going to one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And so as he was doing that, some of these things would have, some of these villages would be small. Some of them could be up to 10 or 15,000 people, which means over the course of six months or so, he had seen in the millions of people where he was going from city to city, village to village, meeting physical needs, healing them, and proclaiming the gospel. That's a lot of people. That, that's, very difficult for me to think that I would be able to do that. I mean, I, I went on a jog Friday and I'm done, right? And so he's expending his energy over and over. So we look at this and we say, what drives Christ to do this? I mean, yeah, we can all just take the, well, he's Jesus, you know? He's, he's Jesus, he's, he's God, he's the son of God. That's how he does it. But besides, you know, the God factor, which we can all agree on, right? I think there's more that we need to look at and understand about this. We see Jesus throughout all the cities and villages telling people about Christ, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease. Um, But verse 36 clues us in on a little bit about what drove him to do this. And that's why I've entitled the sermon, Compassionate Mission. Look what it says in 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I want to read a, uh, <clears throat> an excerpt from a Tim Keller book. Um, and I think that this is a good illustration for us to understand the compassionate nature of Jesus. Not just to go from city to city, but actually to leave heaven and enter into human history. Just to highlight for us this amazing compassionate nature of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But we need to, as best as we can, broaden our minds back and let our our hearts and minds envelop this great compassion and love that Christ has for us to come and save us. This is what uh, the story says. This is a story of Dorothy Sayers, a, a writing about Tim Teller. He says, many fans of Dorothy Sayers, a detective stories. I don't know if you've ever read them, never read one. Um, it says, uh, in mystery novels, point out that Sayers was one of the first women to attend Oxford University. The main character in her stories, Lord Peter Whimsey, is an aristocratic sleuth and a single man. At one point in the novels, and all, how many ever there are, I have no idea, um, through uh, the a new character appears in her novels. Uh, the new character's name is a, is a lady named Harriet Vane. This Harriet Vane, coincidentally, um, is described as one of the first women that graduated from Oxford. And this Harriet Vane is also a writer of um, mystery novels. So obviously we see that Dorothy Sayers wrote herself into this story. This is where it gets really interesting. Eventually, she... Harriet Vane and Peter fall in love and marry. Who was she? Many believe Dorothy Sayers looked into the world that she had created, fell in love with her lonely hero, and wrote herself into the story to save him. Can we just take a step back and realize that this is the gospel? Christ, Jesus Christ, looked into the world that he created and loved the people so much that he literally entered himself into the story of creation, entered in to come and to save us from our sin by going to the cross for us and taking our punishment. This is, this is an amazing display of the compassionate love of Christ for us. That I mean, let's, let's just all be realistic here. Heaven has got to be better than earth, right? And he, and he wasn't a man, and then he became a man. I know we think we're great, but we're really not that great. You know what I mean? Like, if he's in heaven, and all the angels are singing his glory, and he says, 
Yes, Father, I will consider equality with God not a thing to be grasped, and I will make myself low, a humble servant. I'm kind of paraphrasing Philippians chapter 2. And go and be made and be found in human form and become a man, live among us, and then eventually go to the cross and take the punishment for us, all the wrath of God being poured out on him for us on our behalf out of demonstrating a great love and compassion that he has for his creation. Some of you don't need to hear anything about missions. All you need to hear is that. That's all you needed to hear today was that Christ's gospel is amazing. That Christ bore our sin for us on the cross and you can be reconciled with God by trusting his Christ's work and death on the cross for you. So, as we look at this, we see Christ going from city to city. And the reason why is because of the com- amazing love and compassion that he has to enter into human history. And as he's doing it, he looks at the crowds, he looks at them, and he sees sheep that are without a shepherd. They have been harassed and helpless. And when he looks at them, the emotions that the God-man feels, Jesus Christ feels, is not disdain. It's compassion. It's deep, loving compassion for the people. Now, don't miss this. This is, this is the most key, one of the most key parts of this particular text. Because so far all we've seen is Jesus Christ, we're going to pretend Jesus is right here, having all kinds of deep compassionate love to enter into human history. And as he's going around doing ministry, he's going from city to city to village, expending his energy, telling people the gospel and healing people over and over and over and over. And the disciples are following. What is the point that Matthew's trying to help us see? This is what I want you to see right here. When he had saw the crowds, they had compassion for him because they were um, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples. Every single one of us needs to have this verse 37. The whole point that Matthew's trying to make is for us who are disciples, look at the compassionate nature of Jesus to enter into human history and to love people. We're supposed to look at that and from that take a cue from that and that we are to become compassionate people. The whole point of laying out for us this amazing compassion of Jesus is so that we would see that and say, therefore, we should be compassionate people. And the compassion that we're supposed to feel is not just some emotive response that's kind of a sugar high that dies down. That's not. The only way you're going to have a deep, lasting longevity in compassion for people is that it's gospel-centered. In other words, the fact that God himself would leave heaven and come to earth and die for us, the gospel itself, that, when we see that, when we're just amazed by the fact that he would do this, then it causes us to have a deep desire, desire to do missions forever. And so our, our desire to do missions must be based on the compassion of Jesus to save us, not just we feel bad for people. It has to be gospel-centered. It has to be rooted in Christ's coming, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for us. And when your desire to do missions is rooted in the gospel and not just because you feel guilty, then it lasts for far more than two weeks. It lasts for your life. And when it wanes, you say, it's waning. Lord, how do I have it? 
I don't just get myself in a frenzy and get excited. Instead, I return back to the foot of the cross. I repent and I let the waves of his mercy and remembrance of his compassion in saving me fall over me. And then I'm refreshed and I say, now I will march forward to do this mission again. So I want you to see this. The first note on mission is this. Um, Jesus's compassion for others is the source of compassion for us to do missions. We have to root it in the gospel. You want to know how can I do it? How can I be excited? How can I want to do missions for my entire life? How can I want to continually go around the corner and tell my neighbor or go to the ends of the earth? It must be founded and rooted in what Christ has done for you. Jesus' compassion on um, other people is designed always to awaken our souls to be compassionate for others because he's been compassionate to us. There should always be a name where he looks at us and he, when it says, then he said to his disciples, there should be a moment in us for verse 37, then he said to fill in the blank and write your name. If you're in Christ, there should be that. And then he tells them these two phrases and I want to unpack these two before we get into our second point. Um, so the first point is that Jesus' compassion for others is our source of compassion to do missions. He says this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's look at those one by one. First, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. My understanding, if we read this correctly, is that Jesus is pointing out to the scores and scores and scores of people, and he's saying, disciples, there are tons of, quote, low-hanging fruit out there. There are people out there with your simple proclamation of the gospel will hear it and will respond in faith. The harvest is plentiful. It's not scarce. It's not barely there. It's the harvest is plentiful. And then he couples that with the second phrase. But the workers are few. So as we look out at the scores and scores of people, we understand that there are tons of people with our gospel proclamation and the simple meeting of physical needs, will come to know Christ. But why isn't it not happening? What's the point he's telling us? There's harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now here's my understanding. I think there's three possibilities that we can understand when we read the workers are few. I think there's three things it can be. One of these three, when we look at the workers are few, despite the volumes and volumes and volumes of people out there that can be harvested, if we tell them the gospel, there seems to be... Um, not enough people to do it. Here's the three possibilities of why. The first one is that every Christian is actually laboring just as hard as they can. Every single Christian on earth is laboring, trying to reach and trying to harvest all these people. There's just so many people out there that we can't do it. We're all working as hard as we can. I don't know that that's the case. Second possibility. Christians are laboring, but they're not working fast. They're just working very slow. We're just, we're slow at our labor. We're, everyone's doing it. We're just doing it very slow, meaning it's taken us a very, very long time to finally, like two years in, we finally say, okay, I got to tell you about Jesus. I mean, we've known each other for at least, um, what is that, 24 months. Now it's time for me to maybe tell you about the most important thing in my life. Um, maybe that's the case, but I'm not sure that's it either. 
I think it might be the third possibility. And listen, this is not to try to make you feel guilty, all right? I'm just as guilty of this as you are. But here's the third possibility. The reason why the laborers are few is that few Christians are actually joining the labor of winning souls. And that's why there's so many unharvested souls. Few people are actually doing it. We, we want to. We agree we should. We're absolutely for it. And we're really glad that people are doing it. But we're not. Now listen, just to give you an illustration of how I fall short of this, okay? Just yesterday, just yesterday. So your pastor is a, is a terrible sinner and misses opportunities just like you. I was getting my kids in the car. I had somebody come up to my driveway and tell me that they wanted to talk to me. I know enough to know that they're of a different religion. I know, even know the verses that I can take them through in the Bible to show them how they have a misunderstanding of who Christ is. And I'm getting the kids in the car. And if you have a lot of kids, maybe you just know it's, that's like the most stressful thing in the world, at least in your perceptions. And so I'm trying to get them in. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know I don't have time. I'd love to be able to talk, but I, I can't. And so right then, I mean, God brought someone to my driveway and I didn't stop and take the time. So listen, I'm not trying to say that this is all your fault. Like, they came to my driveway, right? And so I failed too. Afterwards, I'm sitting there at my house and I'm just like, oh, God, you brought someone to my driveway. So I have to go through a process of repentance. And, and I'm preaching this today, right? So it's awesome. But my point is this, um, that I think when we look out and we say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, more than likely, we have a lot of workers that aren't joining the labor. I don't know that we have all of our laborers at work. And so maybe this sermon is pleading with you to join the laborers. So here we see Jesus looks out and he says, look at all the people. There's all kinds of work. We don't have a whole lot of people. So what do we need to do? So he's getting the disciples excited. So now we need to start planning and strategizing, start getting out the word and start making some emails and get a whole lot of meetings together. That's not what he does, right? He says, all kinds of people need to be saved. All of we need to go do the work. So everybody, let's stop and pray. Like that's, that's exactly what he does. Look at verse 38. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord. So before you go do anything, there needs to be a, a pause in your spirit and a pause in your mind that says, I am absolutely dependent upon the Lord for this work. I have to go to him in prayer. So here's the second note on compassionate mission, is that Jesus' compassion causes us to pray fervently for the nations. Before we go, and all you type A's are like, I just want to go. Like, I'll pray while I'm walking. Jesus, save them. Like, we're, we're going to get that in a second. That's, that's point three. It's coming. Um, so, but I want you to actually stop and think about what he's asking us to do here when it comes to look out there. There they are. Stop, therefore, and pray. We're submitting ourselves unto the Lord, saying, there's, there's no way that this task can be done by me. And I am absolutely and utterly dependent upon you. Not only that, I need to understand the task. Um, so let's understand here what's going on. He says to pray earnestly. Therefore, pray earnestly. This is not a, a passive prayer. This is not, Lord, Lord, save them all. You know, your will be done. This is a deep, heartfelt, 
angst to feel the weight of lost souls and the love and and compassion of Christ to come on to us. And as he looked out in the crowds and had compassion, that God would give us that deep and abiding burden for the people in front of us, our neighbors or to the ends of the earth. That's the only way it will be sustained is that we'll go and that we say, God, give me this. I want to pray earnestly and deep-filled angst that you would cause me to feel this to go. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see. He says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Don't miss this one little phrase. Pray earnestly to the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. We need to notice our absolute, utter dependence that the real significant work of missions is done by God, not by us. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out... we are absolutely dependent upon him. The, the Lord God saves and uses us to proclaim the gospel. Let me read a, uh, a little excerpt from the Piper book again. There's a chapter on missions, and he's, he's quite a poet, and this is the, the little title of this little section. It says, We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Um, so this is a book on missions, and he's tying in prayer in regard to missions, and this is what he says. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in praying is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the power of darkness and unbelief. Therefore, we think about missions as we're in a battle and bombs are going off everywhere and we're grabbing the walkie-talkie. Send in reinforcements, God. We need more people. We have to have more people. And this is he goes on to say, um, a lot of people don't think of prayer in this way. It's haphazard and not so important in regard to missions. He says, It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make prayer a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. As Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen to that, you've got to say ouch. If prayer is just, God, make life easier. Make these pains go away. I want more comforts. I need more happiness. How about some more money? A big screen TV. My kids behave. It really bothers me when they misbehave in public. Comfort, 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 comfort. If all prayer is is just make my den more luxurious, then we're missing the point of it. Life is war. It's a domestic walkie-talkie. It's a wartime walkie-talkie asking for God to send in reinforcement as the bombs are going off around us in mission, saying, please, God, you're our only hope. The only way this is going to happen is if you come. This is what he says. Um, God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of limitless provider. I love this part. The one who gives gets the glory. Everything that we're doing is for Christ's glory. And if we pray and ask and he gives, as we're doing it, we don't get the glory. The one who gave it to us gets the glory. The one who gives um, the power gets the glory. Thus, Prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with the endless grace for every need. So 
We have to have prayer so that the glory of God is pushed forth and everyone sees that the only way this is happening is by the glory of God. And we have to pray so that the only way that we can have the continual need of grace that we're asking for in our life, that God is giving it to us so that we can, t- can, can continue it on. Um, Jim Elliott, he was a missionary while he was in college at Wheaton College, understood the significance of missions and prayer and the link between the two. For a semester while he was in uh, college, it says, Jim Elliott, the missionary, organized a round-the-clock cycle asking students to sign up for a 15-minute slot each day when he or she would promise to pray for missions and for mission recruitment on the campus. The entire 24 hours were filled in this way. Thus, every 15 minutes throughout the day and night, at least one student was on his knees interceding for the missions at Wheaton College. I I think that lasted for an entire semester. That's pretty amazing to have that kind of deep understanding in regard to missions and prayer. So as we see this particular verse, before we jump out ahead of ourselves, we have to stop. And I want us all to to really buy into and believe one of the key ingredients on being on mission is prayer. So please, I, I challenge you and beg you to join in the mission by prayer. Make prayer that God would send us to go and be his agents of reconciliation, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. Make the prayer for that to be central in your life. We have to be people of prayer, asking for God to do this. Now, type A's, it's your time. Number three, (laughs) notice what it says in verse one. After he tells us to pray, then, verse one, he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over the clean spirits to cast out and to heal and every disease. So he he sends them out. You can see it in verse five um, where it says, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. I've already said it was a little mini mission trip to to the Jews first. Matthew 28 is where the Gentiles are now expanded in, and we see that also in Acts 2. You can also see it in verse 7. It says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you go is an important part there. So the third thing that we need to see in regard to mission, the first one, um, just to recap, Jesus' compassion for others is the source of compassion to do missions. The second one is Jesus' compassion causes us to pray fervently for the nations. And the third one is Jesus' compassion for us causes us to go. It causes us to go. When we understand more and more what Christ has done for us on the cross, the gospel, it causes us to go. Let me read to you some verses just so we can make sure we're all on the same page about um, our need to go. Matthew 28, verse 18. And this is tying into that Platt quote that I read in the very beginning. It's not a matter of whether we're called. We're all called. It's a matter of obedience. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And that's the same thing as that verse 7. As you go. So as you're going through life, as you wake up, as you go to class, as you go to work, as you talk to your family, as you, wherever you go, as you're going... Therefore, make disciples of all nations. This is a command to all believers. So no one can say, I'm not called to do missions. Yes, you are. This is a command to go make disciples of all nations. This nations is the word ethne, ethnic groups. So every single person here that is a believer is commanded by God then to make disciples of all the ethnic groups. And they're not all here in America. And they're certainly not all here in Rock Hill. 
York County. I'm going to talk about that in just a second in my conclusion on how we can all be obedient to that because I don't think that every single person then is going to hop on a plane right now and go to Papua New Guinea or to India tomorrow. So I'm going to talk about how that's going to look for us all to be obedient to this. So it's, just so we're clear, no one can say they're not called to international missions if you're a believer. Everyone is called. So are we going to be obedient or not? So he says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Similarly, in John 20, at the very end, John 20, verse 21 says, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, certainly, we are not sent in the same way Jesus was sent. He was the Savior. And he was sent to die on the cross. But coupled with that, certainly, he was sent as a missionary to enter into a place that was rebellious against him and didn't want to hear his message, but he still came and told them about the gospel of the kingdom. That's how we relate to that. So we're sent in the same way. We are supposed to go where there are lost people around us and we proclaim the gospel to them, calling them to understand what Christ has done for them on the cross. Another one is Hebrews 13, 13. Um, at the very end of this, this is probably a sermon, the entire book, book of Hebrews. In verse 13, chapter 13, 13, um, the writer says, Therefore, let us go to him. So in this picture in verse 13, Christ is outside the camp. There's Jesus. We're inside the camp, insulated, um, keeping ourselves in our, in our den, asking for more luxuries. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't stay there. Jesus is outside the camp. Therefore, let us go to him, to Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured he's called us all to go outside of our camp outside of our comfort zone every single one of us are called let me let me give you an example this is just an example charles wesley um july 18th 1738 obedient to the call of going outside his camp and outside of his comfort zone obeying going the the call to go charles wesley and a friend named bray asked to go spend the night with prisoners that were on death row. They were to be killed the next day. And they went to the prison and they said, we want to hang out with the death row prisoners for tomorrow. We want to spend the night with them in the prison. It says they stayed up with them throughout the night sharing the gospel. And they knew that they were going to, these death row prisoners were going to be experiencing pain and agony. So they said, this pain and agony that you're going to feel physically, someone has borne that for you. And so they related it to what was going to be happening. It says, um, sharing the gospel and the sufferings of the Son of God, his sorrows, his agony, and his death. All the prisoners, they stayed in there all night with him and shared the gospel. At the close of the evening, um, all the prisoners were converted and they faced death with confidence the next day that Christ would receive them. Wesley went into the prison and asked to be locked up with condemned criminals who had nothing more to lose if they killed one more person. And he went anyway. This is the calling we have. To go outside of the comfort zone and outside the camp. The compassion that Jesus has had on us must drive us then into action to have compassion on other people. And sometimes going outside the camp could mean that it does cost us more than it costs Wesley. I'm going to close with this story and then give us a challenge and then we'll have a time of worship. 
This is an unlikely story to have ever even heard about it. There's a man named Joseph. Um, His story got circled around to Billy Graham. um, And it says this. One of the most unlikeliest men to attend an itinerant evangelist conference in Amsterdam that's sponsored by the Billy Graham Association was a Maasai warrior named Joseph. But his story had been heard by Billy Graham and he was invited to come and tell his story at this conference. Um, He got a personal hearing by Billy Graham himself. And this is the story. One day, Joseph, living in Africa, who was walking along one of the hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, Joseph accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return back to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. This is what the gospel does. It transforms us, and we have to say, I have to go tell him. The compassion of Jesus has been shown to me that now I am absolutely compelled that I have to go tell people. Joseph experienced the exact same thing that we've been talking about the entire time. Joseph began going from door to door telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus Christ and the salvation that it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, But they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women began to beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged out from the village and left to die alone in the bush outside of the village. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole and there after days of passing in and out of consciousness found the strength to get up He wondered about the hostile reception he had just received from the people that he had known all of his life. He decided that he must have left something out. Or perhaps he told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. He pleaded with him. Again, he was grabbed by the men in the village, held down by the women, beat him, reopening the wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised and scarred, and determined to go back to his village. He returned to the small village at this time. They attacked him before he even had the chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third time and probably the last, he spoke out to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out the last time, All he saw was the women who were beating him began to weep. This time, he didn't wake up outside the village. He woke up inside of his own bed. The ones who had severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And the entire village had come to know Christ. This is what it means to abandon our comfort zones and be willing to go outside the camp. The compassion that Christ has shown us compels us. It constrains us. It must send us into action. 
And so what does that look like for you? It looks different for us all, depending on the season of your life. But the radical nature to which we're called is no different than Joseph's. You can still be radical in your sending, if not your going. Fervent in your prayer and sacrificial in your giving of money. So there's three choices for us, and only three. First is that we would send. Would parents be willing to send our children as they finish? If they say they want to go overseas, we say these children are given to me on loan by the Lord, and I'm going to send them if God is calling them. And they, we let them go. Maybe we send sisters and brothers, and maybe we send our parents as they re- retire. So the first thing is that we are senders. Coupled with that is that we are sacrificial in our giving. My wife can't go anywhere right now. We have four children, one on the way. She's pregnant. I mean, we're homeschooling. She's locked in at home for a while, right? If she decides, but I'm going to China for three months, I'm going to say, that's that's problematic for me. (laughs) So like, um, not everybody can go overseas tomorrow. But she can still be radically um, sacrificial and being willing to pray every day for missions, willing to give her children over, our children over at age 18, and we can be sacrificial in our giving. That's the first category. Probably most of us will be senders, but we still must be radical senders, not half-hearted. When it comes around, maybe if I have enough, radical senders. The second one is that we go. God could, could be calling some of you right now to say, I'm going. Like, I don't know when, and I don't know how. I'm going to talk to the elders. I'm going to find out. It could be next month. It could be next year. But my life has been called to go now, and I'm willing to go and give my life to see all the ethne come to Christ. I can't, I can't live here anymore. God has called me to go. And some of you might be doing that. Some of you are senders. Some of you are going. And the third one is disobedient. It's one of those three. It's not... Well, I'm not going to do either one of those, and, but I'm still going to be obedient. It's we're either going to send, we're going to go, or we're going to be disobedient. But the text is clear. Christ's love compels us to go. We're going to go into a time of worship here now. A few songs. And then after that, we'll have a report from our Columbia mission trip team. And then Matt will come up at the very end and give us some instructions if you'd like to get involved with what we're doing here at Remedy. You don't have to get involved at Remedy. If this is your church, this is what we're doing. There's places all over. But use this particular time right now as we worship to just survey your heart. Like I want, to take a, I want us all to take a step back and say, where's my heart right now? Am I saying, yes, Jesus, whatever you want? Am I willing to go if you're t- calling me to go? Am I willing to be sacrificial with my sending of my family or my money. So over these next couple songs, whether you want to stand or sit and pray, just be obedient to the Spirit's leading. I trust the Spirit enough to lead you. I don't, I don't want to guilt you into anything. I want the Holy Spirit to do it. If you need more time, that's fine with me. I trust the Holy Spirit that He's going to draw you and help you make the right decision. I want to be able to talk if you need to. So maybe you want to sit and pray and repent. Maybe you want to stand right up and just sing out to God and give him the glory. We'll have a time of, of song now, worship, where you've got 
get some space to really survey your heart. You get at least three or four songs, and then we'll see the video, and then we'll close. So I'm going to pray and turn it over to Ben as we worship Christ together. Let's pray. God, not every one of us will experience this life that Joseph had. But we are all called to be just as radical in our hearts. And so I pray for us all. I pray for myself. God, my own heart, I'm so selfish and self-involved all the time. And I repent of that, Lord, and ask... And we ask that you would cause us to have a deep desire to do mission here in our city and to the ends of the earth. Let us never get over the gospel and let it be our motivation to carry us to do missions. We're in desperate need of your spirit now. Desperate need. Be with us now as we worship. Lead us all to what you want us to do and how we would respond. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.